saw some good horror movies in the past few days, including The Thing, which is a fine cuisine of cinema I saw when I was 10 or 11. Yet I wonder why I have trust issues. <laughs> I also saw Night of the Living Dead. When it first came on, I was just like, oh, it kind of feels like a Twilight Zone episode. And 20 minutes in, I was just like, no, this isn't a Twilight Zone episode. And of course, there's the penultimate, Halloween 3. Season of the Witch. Yeah. I saw that one when I was younger first. Didn't understand why Michael Myers wasn't in it. But then just recently, last night even, I learned that the actor that played Michael Myers in the first movie was the person who wrote and directed Halloween 3. So Michael Myers was in it the whole time. But masterpieces aside, I have some uh, improvised horror stories to do. The spook vibes are very thick and nougaty tonight. And it should be a fun show. Alright. The theme for tonight's show is called... Good things come in queer packages. And the first story is... Sleepy Hollow Restart. Production seemed to take forever in the queer reboot of Sleepy Hollow. They filmed in rural Pennsylvania amidst the pandemic. Everyone on the crew and set was tested to their knowledge. But they were filming in autumn. Pennsylvania, hoping for a release uh, the following year in 2021. Everyone was really excited about a queer reboot for Sleepy Hollow, but no one really felt that uh, making a movie was the best thing to do during these unprecedented times. playing Ichabod, named uh, Johnny Barb. He was an unknown actor. 
pandemic hit, which is a really prime time for an actor to get his start. But he managed to nail the audition to play Ichabod for this new Sleepy Hollow movie. He knew the script when he first auditioned, but he never read the original short story. We've even seen the uh, Tim Burton adaption. But when he got to part and was handed the script, he took some time to actually go see the Tim, Tim Burton version. And he was just like, oh shit, what have I gotten myself into? script for the movie was very typical for the uh, original Sleepy Hollow uh, story, you know. Ichabod had a rival. They both had a crush on the same guy, and as it happened, Ichabod's rival would, uh, presumably dressed as the Sleepy Hollow uh, character, the Headless Horseman, try to scare him off. Or perhaps it was a real uh, Headless Horseman from those uh, folk tales of old. No one really knew for sure. Even the script itself was pretty ambiguous. In this story, the story, uh, the actor that played the rival was named Dean. who played the love interest was named Guy. So one day all three of them had a drink uh, in some remote patio area. In the outskirts of Plymouth Meeting, you know, where they were shooting this thing. It was the first week of October and they were having sharing a laugh. about their fondness for Sleepy Hollow and whatnot. But Johnny Barb, who played Ichabod, was still really couldn't keep up with the uh, initial Sleepy Hollow source material conversations. Again, he only read the story once. It wasn't something he grew up with or anything. still having a good chat regardless. He was talking about cinema in general and how there are too many reboots and remakes, you know. Movies should go back to be a, to go back to being a resource of original ideas, at least to some capacity. And Dean said, yeah, if only if, you know. and decided to go back to the hotels they were staying at. 
that Johnny was waiting for his Uber. It seemed to take a while. Uber didn't even show up after 40 minutes. He was just like, oh, Uber's a kind of a shitty company anyway. You know, I guess my, the place I'm staying isn't that far. I guess I'll walk. So we started to walk down Sleepy Hollow during the, in the downtown district. All the old colonial buildings. All the dead leaves falling. Definitely a year where time slowed down. But he was still able to appreciate it. The falling leaves. It made it easier for him to soak it all in. at first. An area that he didn't even remember passing through, you know, to and from set. And as he was walking, he saw a shadowy figure in the distance. fast as he could to get away from the horseman's impending speed. Eventually he tucked himself away back into the woods. So then he kept walking to his hotel. He finally made it over. He wanted to share what he saw with the person waiting at the lobby and the, the receptionist. But then he decided against it, so he just went to his room out his window, see if we could see the Headless Horseman again. off in an armchair by his by his window 
upset about it. About seeing the Headless Horseman. No one really believed him and thought he was just seeing things. been seen where Ichabod's being chased by it. He never even met the actor who would be playing the Headless Horseman. horseman to come. And it turned out that he was waiting by the same road where he saw the first headless horseman from those few nights before. So Johnny Barb thought just like, oh, this looks really familiar. Eventually the cameras went away and started to hide behind the trees. And him playing the character Ichabod was just meant to wait. or say action, he just saw the shadowy figure appear down the road. And the same matter that he saw the night nights before. And then he started running away from the Headless Horseman, freaking out. I feel like I didn't even have to act because it seemed like he saw the real thing a couple nights ago and he was able to summon that fear, that anxiety. He wasn't consulted with a stunt coordinator or anything about how to flee or how to run, so he kind of just shot from the hip, hip from it. sense of deja vu because it's almost verbatim like the night that he first saw the headless horseman eventually the horseman uh, rushes past Ichabod and then slashes Johnny Barb right in the shoulder 
he starts to bleed real blood. Because he's carrying a real sword. Bleeding out from his shoulder. The horsemen rushed past again. Then made more of a jab in his gut. And it forced Johnny to limp as he kept running. It was like the strength was leaving his body. acquainted with death on cinema, where people would die and then they just stop moving. What would really happen is just everything goes limp. And then Johnny Barb had nothing to do but to just collapse right there. And his last, last sight that he saw was a horseman coming right towards him. And then he wakes up and he's in his hotel room. That shooting Jay was just a dream, and Johnny Barber was just like, oh, thank God. He went to set that day in delirium. He didn't know if the first encounter was a dream also. And reality started to feel like a blur to him in a lot of ways. So he goes to the reported set on the outskirts of Plymouth Meeting. And he's telling Dean about these dreams, and Dean's just like, ah, oh, fuck, that's crazy. Well, when, we, when we start doing the horseman scene, you're really going to have inspirato for it. And then Johnny Barb said, yeah, I guess so. So as the day went on for their last scene for the day, they got in a van and went to the location. And they dropped off at the same road where Johnny Barb encountered the horseman two times. And the director turned to him just like, alright, you're just going to beat Ichabod. Uh, we want to keep it real, keep it raw. We're not going to tell you anything about it. We're just going to, you know, just start the scene and you just freak out like Ichabod would. Once again, Johnny Barb started to feel deja vu. He was given a similar set of non-instructions during that dream. The cameras disappeared behind the trees. It started to get darker. It seemed like this Sleepy Hollow scenario was resetting once again. Eventually, Johnny Barb started to lose it. No, 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 I can't go through this again. No, no. No one was really listening because they thought, they thought he was acting. Eventually he's shouting, but no one's around to hear him. Or if they were, they weren't listening. And right when he feels
feels like he can't take anymore in the distance. He sees once again, for a third and possibly the last time, the headless horseman down the road. Brown. Wait a minute, that's not milk. Yeah, no, that's a uh, Coke Zero. Uh, did you find a cow that gives you Coke Zero? Um, <laughs> I don't. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a trade secret. Yeah, it's, <laughs> oh, right. it's uh, yeah, with uh, it's between me and Silver Shamrock. You oh, know yeah. how I got this soda. <laughs> From the power of Stonehenge, can oh. <laughs> can Stonehenge make cows Damn. execute uh, carbonated uh, sugarless soda? Yeah. Yeah. The way they call them the fighting Irish, it's just like a lot of Coke Zero they got from Stonehenge. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah this is yeah. a dark tale that we've invented based off of. So, sounds like we're making a Halloween 3.5 right here. <laughs> the return of Silver Shamrock. It's, it's not even about masks. One mass murder wasn't enough. <laughs> Coke Zero sponsors this whole situation. Yeah. Instead of the masks, it's just like Coke Zeros. Oh my god. Wait, that sounds like actual today. That sounds Yeah. Sick. There was a hardcore Amazon metaphor in that movie. <laughs> but before Amazon, man, it was ahead of his time. <laughs> Halloween 3 remake just call the uh, director in Kentucky just like we need you for one more job see SNL wouldn't air it because it would be too obscure you know SNL doesn't not SNL doesn't have the gumption to do a Halloween oh. 3 sketch you know it's not it's they're not they're dumb they should. People would totally get it. I would. I would be People so. Would be like they would, they would know. Like, oh yeah, that fucking movie that didn't have Michael Myers in it and Rick Roby the whole time. Everyone would know exactly what that skit was about. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's got feelings about Halloween three. Yeah. When I well when I saw uh, Halloween three, you know, I was alone, no one to share my frustrations with. I just. Wait, wait. But you were like nine or something, right? I was. <laughs> Anywhere between uh, like twelve or thirteen, probably, when I first saw it. Okay. But yeah, I just sat there for like an hour, forty minutes. Like Michael Myers isn't in this, but like, I've been lied to. I wanted What's to see that? all the Halloween Santa movies. Is real. Easter Bunny is real. Michael Myers isn't in this Halloween movie. Mm hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. This next story is. This next story is called Who Loves the Irish?
like I don't have to exert much effort to find out what this story is about. toy company Silver Shamrock went under after they committed mass murder by harnessing the power of Stonehenge into three shitty glow-in-the-dark masks <laughs> and having kids' heads erode into cockroaches and snakes. Everyone thought that uh, Silver, Sh Silver Shamrock was done for. Onion rings. But lo and behold, 37 years later, Silver Shamrock materiously, mysteriously reappeared. Seven years is enough time for the public to forget about that weird Stonehenge mass murder thing. They try to get back into the mass game. They even try to reissue their Halloween free specialty masks. sell those masks. You know, there's too many cool costumes already out and about, you know. Some Michael Myers costumes. Slasher and Star Wars costumes. Clowns are really in that year for some reason. Probably a Pennywise connection or whatever. really into buying those silver shamrock uh, Halloween masks. This was troubling for the new owners of silver shamrock. They were just like, shit, well how are we... We still have one chunk of Stonehenge. How are we supposed to harness the power of Stonehenge into computer chips? murder. It was an ideal situation, but they thought was, they thought that the swiftest idea was to be a subsidiary subsidiary of Amazon. Eventually Amazon was sharing their facial recognition technology, their data mi mining and surveillance tech. Silver Shamrock, of course. They, of course, still sold Halloween costumes and whatnot, and included surveillance computer chips in it.
that they were also looking into selling other types of products. So they finally settled on something that was a real zinger. That really appealed to the post-pandemic world. They decided to sell sex toys and dildos and whatnot. With the slogan, Good things come in queer packages. The higher-ups of Silver Shamrock were hatching the same scheme, except with sex toys and dildos, cock rings, even some bondage rope. sex toy distributors, especially from queer-owned shops, publicly, publicly said, hey, Silver Shamrock is really fucked up. Uh, remember that they killed, they committed mass murder 40 years ago using the power of Stonehenge? They're gonna try to do the same shit with these sex toys. I know everyone's going through a lot because of all the shit happening in 2020, but seriously, don't buy their products. However, they, uh, made their products affordable, accessible, highly commercialized and advertised on Amazon, and it got to the point where they were snuffing out all the other smaller sex shops. It made it harder for them to stay in business, until it only took a matter of months or a couple years. Silver Shamrock to be the go-to sex toy distributor in America. Sure, a lot of their clients uh, weren't thrilled about computer chips being inside the sex toys, taking blood and uh, uh, DNA samples with every use tracking progress and all that. But a lot of their users were burned out and were just like, oh, well, in this uh, age of transparency, you know. So Silver Shamrock uh, kept all the data about the use of their sex toys. Sent them to Amazon, so Amazon had them in their records, and used that information to sell more things to those people. Even try to time it in a way based on their sex habits. Like if someone just got laid using a toy, they'd see an ad on their phone like, hey, you can use some lemonade. It's like, yeah, I could use some lemonade. How did Amazon know that I wanted to clutch, punch my thirst? So weird. So the owner of uh, Silver Shamrock at this point was named uh, Sully uh, O'Reilly. It wasn't his. It was. It wasn't his real name. He just. Uh, pretending to be Irish to, you know, be part of the face of Silver Shamrock. 
following, um, what's his name, uh, Mr. Cochran's Footsteps from 1983, from the original Halloween 3 mask set. To use the power of Stonehenge to activate these sex toys on Halloween, to turn people's, uh, I guess genitals into cockroaches and snakes, probably. I mean, however, that would go. I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't make the source of cereal for this. I'm just yes-anding Halloween 3, but I digress. So it's two more days till Halloween. They even played their vintage vintage ads on uh, YouTube and Twitch. You know. Same jingle say something like two more days to Halloween, Halloween. Two more days to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. So when it was two days to Halloween, Sully was thrilled to follow Cochran's footsteps and commit his master plan based on an, a history of uh, Ireland and uh, Celtic lore that didn't really exist. Shamrock headquarters in California. And he's just like, oh, Sully, yeah, how's it going? And Sully's just like, oh, hi, have you came to see my master plan? You know, I figured a company like Amazon would appreciate it and be very proud. So the executive was just like, yeah, um, yeah, about that. We don't want you to go through your uh, master plan of harnessing the power of Stonehenge to activate computer chips and sex toys uh, to make turn people's genitals into cockroaches and snakes, uh, thus causing a mass murder. You know, it was really exciting when you pitched it, but we're gonna—it's a no-go. We're—we're not letting you do that. And Sully's just like, oh, but I don't understand. Why not? And then the executive shrugged, and he just said, Well, simply, we're just uh, making a lot of bank with, uh, you know, for this all this surveillance and data mining and DNA sampling from these sex toys. We're able to use that to pivot advertisements at these users and users of similar de demographics so we can sell more shit, you know? So if you commit your master plan, you know, people aren't even going to use these sex toys and it's going to take years before we can really reconstruct the technology to use sex toy tracking once again. So, again, we love the spirit of the idea, but, like, you know, it's just ultimately more profitable, you know, just to keep the sex toys as a form of surveillance. And then Sully was just like, oh, I see. You're all about profits. Don't you just want to kill a bunch of people for fun? And then the executives is like, well, I, I guess not. No, no, not really. We'd rather just like leech off them until they get old and die or something. And then Sully's just like, oh shit, that's really dark. It's a lot more fucked up than my plan. Goddamn. 
executive said, well, nevertheless, you know, it's a, it's a no-go on our end. So the executive left. Sully was getting really sad in his evil lair, in his underground cavern with all of his robots. He looked around at his uh, cav cavernous lair, all of his lab tech, and he's just like, oh, I feel so anachronistic, like I don't know what true evil is anymore. Maybe these old traditions can't keep up with contemporary evil. trying to be consoled by his robots with yellow goo inside of them. And just be Sully, it's just like, oh, that's alright. Well, you know, people are still really gonna enjoy the sex toys. They're really well-designed, you know. They glow in the dark. And Sully's just like, ah, oh, you robots, you know. You're real pals. You're a lot cooler than humans, but... I don't know, it's no use. If I go with the plan without their say, you know, who knows what they'll due to, the, to me or this company, you know, their action will be swift. So then Sully hatched a plan. He started to go on his computers and started to do more data tracking with these sex toys. well, they just don't want me to use my evil plan against consumers so that Amazon can leech off them perpetually with their surveillance tech. But that doesn't mean I can't do it with people who have been giving the technology for free. Spent the rest of the afternoon searching for it, but eventually found the archives of all the data tracked information the Amazon executives who had Silver, Sh Silver Shamrock sex toy products. So Silly had a brilliant idea to call an emergency meeting with the, all the executives of Amazon, or at least the ones that had his products, including the executive that came to say he couldn't use his master plan idea. executives show up, you know, some of them are already trying to, like, go to bed and stuff, you know, after having a long, uh, work day of being an Amazon corporate person. He calls the meeting and they're just like, uh, fucking Sully, what is it? You messaged us saying that you're 
uh, plan was going to happen without your say-so, that I was getting off the rails. We told you to shut this thing down earlier. And Sully said, yeah, I know, but it's just really, just really out of whack. I don't know what to do. One of the executives was like, well, you know, what do you, what do you need from us then if you're trying to shut this thing down? And Sully said, well, I think I have a solution to it. Bear with me. But I just need you all to watch the screen for a couple minutes. I have all the information presented. played the old commercial from the original Halloween 3 giveaway of those original glow-in-the-dark masks. And then the ominous voice said, watch the screen, watch the pumpkin. And then they just saw a flashing pumpkin at a strobe rhythm. Sully was gripping his hands together, you know, in a very maniacal way. And then you he could just hear their screams. Ah! Ah! message ended. He, he was able to see all of their cameras. Their camera views, so to speak. And so all the silver shamrock sex toys they had throwing the room all misfire and start to mutilate them and start to turn parts of their bodies, including their genitals and the cockroaches and snakes. All totally wiping out the higher executive line of Amazon right before his very eyes. Sully laughed maniacally. And then when he stopped laughing, he started to do a very, a very slow and steady clap. And then, when the executives died, when they all gave their last, last breath, last breath, Sully just said, the spirit of Halloween 3 lives on. That was, that was, that was fun. <laughs> you just gotta, you just gotta keep out, keep your lookout for computer chips, you know. That's the, that's the main thing. You hear me scream between the hours of like 8.30 and 10 and I wake up. Brian and hmm. Shamrock. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying the big hinge in the sky. See what's, see the, let's see what other goodies are in this uh, batch of spooks for this evening. <laughs> this next spook is called Orange Flavored Blood. And it's on an orange card. Who'da, who'da thunk it?
Harriet and Cindy had a very long sexual adventure together on one night. It was the best sex they both that either of them ever had in their entire relationship together, and both for themselves individually. It was a very lust-filled evening. But it was also an evening where they both started to try blood play. shy about admitting that they were both into it. So eventually, uh, late in the night, Cindy makes a very slight incision on Harriet, and Cindy starts to kiss her blood a little bit, and that's when she started to taste it. Hey, Harriet. Harriet's just like, yeah, what's up? And Cindy's just like, um, you're, yeah, I don't know how to say this, but your blood tastes like tang. Harriet just said, tang? Cindy's just like, yeah, yeah. She leaned over and turned on the lamplight. And she said, here, look at it under the light. And Harriet moved her arm underneath the light, and she was bleeding orange. She was just like, oh. And Sydney's just like, oh, that's, I mean, let's, hold on, let's. So they turned on the lights and then started to slow down their sexual play a little bit. And Cindy just asks Harriet, like, Harriet, why would your blood taste like tang? Is your blood tang? And Harriet's just like, no, no, no. Uh, or I don't, I don't think so. No. And Cindy's just like, well, how much, how much tang do you drink? And Harriet's just like, um, maybe like two or three glasses a day. And he's just like, okay, do you have um, anything else orange at all? <clears throat> and Harriet's just like, uh, n no, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I eat some oranges sometimes. Uh, often I snack on Cheez-Its. Uh, you know, if not Cheez-Its, then like cheese balls or something. I'm also fond of orange soda when I want something like really sugary, you know? and tastes like tang, you should probably see a doctor of some sort. And Harriet's just like, yeah, um, alright, fine, I'll, I'll go see a doctor. So they book an appointment for several weeks out. They go together because Cindy wanted to be supportive. Reception says, it's like, oh, you're gonna have to wait out in the lobby. You can't uh, join in for the appointment because of COVID, the pandemic, etc. We don't want to cause any contaminations. 
And Cindy's just like, okay, I understand. I'm just gonna go around the block and hang out, but you'll be fine, alright, Harriet? And Harriet's just like, yeah, 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 I'll see ya. Yeah, I'll text you when I'm finished. So Cindy leaves the building and Harriet starts to, you know, enter the doctor's office. And then Harriet's talking to the doctor. And she's just like, alright, so Harriet, what can I what can I do for you today? It's just like, uh, well, you know, I don't know how else to say this, but I was doing some blood blood play with my partner, and she tasted my blood, and, uh, you know, it's, she found out that it tastes like tang and it's orange. The doctor looks at her and says, well, what else does she know? And Harriet says, oh, no, nothing, nothing. The doctor said, okay, she doesn't know about, you know, about us, about us living among the humans. And Harry's just like, no, of course not. You know, she just thought it was peculiar that I'm bleeding out Tang. The doctor said, well, if she knows that you're bleeding out Tang, you know, she's gonna find out there were, uh, orangutans. Our species is, we're aliens, uh, our species is called orangutan, or tangians, I don't know, tang folks, whatever. She can't find that out. And Harry's just like, yeah, I know, I know. And the doctor said, because we're like vampires, but way cooler. And Harry's just like, oh yeah, we're, I mean, we're way more badass than vampires, you know. just like blend in a lot more as long as we don't you know bleed out orange and tang and stuff in front of people so the doctor says well i'm not gonna it's no easy way to say this but i'm gonna have to report your partner to the society of tangians to the orangutan council out a way to either dispose of her or erase her memory. And then Harriet said, wait, wait. What if she became one of us? And the doctor said, one of us. I mean, one of the Tangians, the Tang folks. Do you know the measures that have to be taken? All the paperwork? And Harriet said, yeah, I did all the paperwork paperwork and I got an approval from the orangutan council I think she'd make a fine addition to tangians and tang folks who wouldn't want to be a vampire but cooler and the doctor's just like alright but she knows too much as it is you're gonna have to turn her soon The council will catch wind of it and it'll be out of my hands. Harriet said, okay, you're right. So the doctor says, here, take this. She hands Harriet a 
what seemed to be a pouch full of tang powder. Put this in some water, and then feed it to Cindy. The whole thing. And then she'll become one of us. And Harry's just like, yes, one of us. One of us. So Cindy and Harriet rendezvous, and then... The afternoon goes by, and it becomes night. They're watching, um... Something on Netflix together. I don't know. Halloween 3, let's say. So Harriet goes to pour herself some tang, and then she takes the doctor's tang pouch. She says, Cindy, do you want anything to drink? And Cindy's just like, oh, no, I'm good. I got water. And Harriet's just like, you sure? Oh, I want to try to give you a new drink that I... A new drink. Cindy's just like, uh, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll try it. So then what happens is, uh, Harriet, uh, takes a doctor's tang powder and some vodka and mixes it together with some water. It's like a tang vodka mix. So then, back in the bedroom, Harriet gives Cindy this uh, tang vodka water. Cindy has a very tiny sip. And then she's just like, Harriet, this tastes like shit. And Harriet's just like, what? And Cindy's just like, yeah, this is pretty much just like tang and vodka, you know? Not the best of uh, mixing combinations. And Harriet was just like, oh, let's just, you know... Something that I really liked. I thought you would like it too. And Cindy's just like, yeah. Well, I don't even, I don't even like Tang or anything. And Harriet's just like, what? And Cindy's just like, yeah, Tang. I'm not into it. It's just like, you know, it's like lackluster orange juice. You know, it's never really my thing. I know you're into it, and I know I get that's like you're drinking all, but no, I can't stand it. Even when we were having a blood play session, you know, just like tasting in my mouth, I was just like, bleh. And Harriet was just like, you, you don't like the taste of my blood? And Cindy's just like, well, you know, I'm not crazy about uh, regular blood as it is, the taste of it. It's very coppery and all that. But since your blood tastes like tang for some reason, then no. Hey, did you ever find out why your blood tastes like Tang? And Harriet just said, well, you know, my... The Tang part of me is who I am, so if you don't know, if you don't like that... And Cindy's just like, no, it's just, I don't know, it's just not into Tang, you know, RNG and bleh. And Harriet was just like, bleh. So then she ran out of the bedroom, grabbed her coat, and then started smoking a cigarette out on the front porch. Cindy follows her out also with a cigarette. And she says, Oh, Carrie, what's going on? And she just comes out and says it, that I'm a species of Tang person that live among humans. And that, uh, you know, we, we live among humans, 
anything more than that, just we have Tang Blood, and I think it's really cool, you know. If you can't accept that, I don't know what to tell you. And Cindy was just like, oh, I can't believe you're confessing this to me. And then Harry's just like, yes. So if you can't accept it, we can't be together. And then Cindy said, Harry, I have something to tell you. Hunter, you know, like a vampire hunter, but way cooler. And I met you, and then I started to fall for you, and we started dating. And I wanted to do blood play just to be sure that you were a tanging, tangian, you know. But now I want to put my, I want to put my tang hunter uh, history behind me. Just want to be with you and your tang blood and all that. said yes I'll do it and Harry's just like shit really and Cindy's just like yes we'll be tang people together and have tang blood and all that stuff and live longer than humans because humans are fucking it up right now It'd be really cool and surprisingly they lived happily ever after surprisingly yeah because I don't know a lot of spooks don't have happy endings but it's just like oh yeah that's a Nice. All right, one more spook. This story is called. Sea apples, sea grapes. kid Marvin would always read uh, maritime literature read a lot of marine biology picture books when he was a kid <clears throat> being really inspired by all the sea creatures all the all the whales sharks fish you know seaweed octopi all that jazz dream that he would have been an underwater investigator. <laughs> he spent a long time 
done trying to get a PD PhD in marine biology. But then being disillusioned by the academic process, he decided to just go, just start doing the research work on his own. Eventually he met a uh, deep sea diving crew where everyone was queer and also underwater investigators, all seeking new horizons beneath the sea. Some people on the crew were featured on Shark Week a couple times. A life at sea, every day was a new, fresh day. Every day was a new adventure. And Marvin certainly couldn't be happier. some time on land, you know, several months at sea and then like three months on land, but it never took him long to itch for the sea once again, and to reunite with his crew, his comrades, all with their own investigation ideas and their new adventures. first started their voyage, they were all set on the same conquest together. It was to seek out sea apples and sea grapes. Now Marvin only heard about sea apples and sea grapes in lore, various lore from multiple cultures. many accounts of people who have tried apples and sea grapes. Their reviews have been mixed historically. There are some myths where sea apples and sea grapes just taste like celestial glass and all that. It's the sweetest thing that a human can ever eat. But other accounts are if the apples and grapes have a bit overturned a little bit, then that's when it becomes worse than poison in ways that get ambiguous in the literature of it. some coordinates where sea apples and sea grapes possibly could have grown somewhere in the vast Pacific. They would do deep sea dives and seek out the plant life, try to find vines or underground apple trees of some sort. 
but they were at it for months. And they did research on other things, collect data in other regards while they were going on this going on this trek so they could still get funding, but they weren't having any luck in finding all these apples and these grapes. making a deep sea dive and he's sifting through some seaweed or something not really expecting to find anything until he finds a vine a vine of the sea grapes themselves Everyone, look, found some sea grapes. So they all make a dive and find the sea grapes and keep finding more, and then eventually find, find some sea apples, and they're just like, oh my god, we found it. To them, it was the equivalent of finding the fountain of youth, except it was even better. It was just a really fucking delicious food. what they could and harvested what they could from the grapes and the apples without tampering with the plant life too much down there. They had some baskets set up on the ship. So they decided to have a feast with the sea apples and sea grapes. When they set them up, it was grapes and the apples kind of look like glass. It's like various colors embedded into them. Some pinks and yellows and purples and teals. And they say that Marvin should take the first bite and then Marvin's just like, alright, shit. So he bites an apple and he's like, oh my god, this is the best apple I've ever eaten. And he had a grape, and he was like, this is the best grape I've ever eaten. And then everyone starts to dig in. And they eat the sea apples and sea grapes, and they truly felt ecstatic. And then after the feast, they just, like, party a little bit more to celebrate, and then they turn in. So the next few weeks, what they end up doing is they start to pull data from the uh, from the plant habits of the sea apples and sea grapes to research the plant life, to see what kind of conclusions can be drawn, to see how other experts can use it. So they spend the ship in that area for a sustainable duration of time. They don't, they don't eat all the grapes and apples. When they first start snacking on them, uh, uh, when they first harvested them, they kept snacking on them. But then they just 
kind of let them in the barrels. Kept them in the refrigerator for a bit. More and more weeks went by as they were pooling plant life data. Two months go by with uh, the grapes and the apples that they stored. Marvin looks into the fridge and then asks his friend Sam, "Like, hey Sam, how long have we, uh, how long ago did we get these uh, sea apples and sea grapes?" And Sam was just like, "Uh, probably like uh, two and a half months ago today." And Marvin was just like, "Shit, really? You know, when we first found these, it was like..." Finding ambrosia itself, you know, the stuff of myth, myth and legend, you know. But now it's just food kind of starting to turn a little bit, you know, just like everything else in this world. And then Sam says, oh, no, no, I'm sure it's still pretty good, you know. And Marvin's just like, yeah, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know the turn rate for sea grapes and sea apples. And Sam's like, well, I guess the only way to find out is to try it. Marvin's just like, yeah, I guess so. So Marvin, uh, has a grape. And he's just like, oh, it still tastes okay. Still pretty good, actually, you know. He has some more grapes, and then he starts, uh, eating the fruit for lunch and crowded dinner. Killer stomach ache. Keeps him awake all night. It's, it's, it's as if the apples and grapes turned into little daggers and were just like jabbing at his stomach. And he's just like, oh fuck, maybe I shouldn't have eaten that fruit. He's in a cold sweat the entire night. to get more sick and everyone on the ship starts to get more concerned. And then Sam just kind of says, yeah, we should uh, probably toss these uh, apples and sea grapes at this point. You know, maybe we can freeze some, some of them for research, but yeah, if no one's going to eat them, we should toss them. So they put some in the freezer and then toss out the other into the water. But as they drop the fruit, the ocean starts to tint a little bit. It becomes less of a clear crystal blue and turns more into a red and a purple. Jen's just like, what did the myth say? 
how the grapes and the apples, they can be the best thing humans can have, but when they turn, they become worse than poison. And Samus is like, yeah, that's what a lot of the myths say. And Jen says, well, what do you think they meant? And Samus is like, oh, presumably something like this. Meanwhile, Marvin wasn't looking too good. He was always in a feverish cold sweat. His skin started to turn gray. His eyes were turning yellow. At one point, Sam and Jen just kind of look at him. So what they prioritize to do is just to get to land as quickly as possible so they can check him into a hospital. They made it more complicated due to the pandemic about which hospital to go to or which place that would accept them. But they still tried to find land regardless. Eventually it hits, it's, it's a nightfall. Sam goes to check on Marvin, but he's gone. Sam runs to Jen, and Jen's just like, what's up, Sam? And Sam's just like, I can't find Marvin. So they both commit to find him. It's not that large of a ship, so it couldn't have gone far. tries to keep his pocket knife close to him, keeping it armed and extended and ready. So he quickly opens the door and looks in, and sees one of the crewmates bleeding out on the bed, stabbed. He starts to go visit other crewmates to try to wake them up, to tell them what happened. crewmate he visited is also, they were also dead and bloody. From various wounds and various circumstances. He eventually tries to track down Jen again. But then sees her on, out on the deck. Already lifeless and bloody as well. open, he sees none other than Marvin himself. His eyes are a deep yellow, 
skin's still gray. And he's sighing very heavily. He looks very manic. And Sam tries to take a close look at him. And you can still see Marvin in there. his actions or his impulses. But he does see him hold a kitchen knife. And Sam just tries to talk to Marvin just like a uh, Marvin, you know. An area out of sorts, but I need you to put down the knife. We tried to take you to a hospital, you know, but I'm gonna need you to cool it. Marvin charges at Sam, and they wrestle to the ground under the moonlight over the ocean waves. Sam tries to overtake Marvin, but Marvin's just too, too strong and too manic for him to overtake. remaining on the boat, on the ship, rather. He sits on the deck and breathes heavily. He's in a very berserk state, and he can barely uh, cognize what he's done. But he can cognize it enough so he starts to cry a little bit. Just a couple of tears come down his face as he's still gripping the knife. He sits on the deck, uh, panting in a cold sweat. And eventually the food poisoning becomes so rough that he becomes lifeless as well. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. I guess that's his way of death. Didn't mean to end on a downer, but this is yeah. This this is the way of the spooks. No, no. Ah. Your bit of action lies not to become us at all. Yeah. What was that? Your bit of action lies to not become us. All right. I I don't know the quote. I haven't seen. Gotta get you to see that. Oh wow. Anyway. That was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Garezzi. Good night. Good night to you. Good night to you. Good night to you. Good night to you. I said good night to you. Good night to you. Actually, one thing. Say good night. One thing I can say about that last story, you know, I was just like, if you're gonna go somewhere with a story, you should go there. I think that was as far as I can say for that. I'm not explaining, I'm just chatting, just, I don't want to be becomst of the lies. I'm so, becomst. <laughs>
Good night. That's right. Good night. Song. 